in uh, Galatians chapter 4, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the, underneath the seat in front of you, page 974. Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading out of verse 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his uh, son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And I want to unpack the scripture just a little bit. It's it's so full of things, uh, just amazing things, what God's done on our behalf. Because without his birth, without the Son of God coming to this earth and taking upon himself our particular sins and transgressions, None of us would know any freedom, there wouldn't be any salvation, there wouldn't be any life. In fact, none of us would be sitting here today if Jesus hadn't come and loved us and called us to himself. The Son of God came to earth at a a particular uh, time, a definite time that God had predetermined in his sovereignty. And I find this uh, first statement in this verse uh, very intriguing. In the fullness of time... God sent forth his son. And literally, whenever the full number of days had uh, arrived, when full preparation had been made, when everything was ready, then God sent forth his son. So I thought about that a little bit. And I'm sure I would miss a lot of important things, but there were a few things that were happening that actually helps me to understand a little bit more about this fullness of time. And we know that God had very definite things in mind for the particular time by which he chose to send his son to this earth. But God moves and he acts in time and he brings to pass his purpose and he works in a sovereign way uh, through his grace uh, and is very much involved and the orchestrator of great movements. And in this particular situation, when Jesus came, there were a lot of things that were happening on earth and uh, the particular spot where Jesus came. For one thing, uh, the, gut, the, the world was fairly unified. That is the civilized world. Now, they weren't really necessarily unified in attitude at all, but there was universal peace because there was one government, actually. The Roman government had subjugated peoples and nations and brought them under their rule. So everyone was kind of under the rule of, of Rome as a result of being conquered. I mean, not uh, willingly, but they were. And therefore, because of that, men could go everywhere and preach the gospel. Uh, peace basically had been extended throughout the entire civilized world because of the dominance of, of Rome. And, and therefore, travel and commerce that otherwise wouldn't have been possible was actually possible during this particular time. Not only that, but, but the Romans were great road builders. And I've walked on a lot of these Roman roads and as far as the Middle East and, and Europe. 
And uh, so they established paved roads throughout their entire empire. Now, we would call it slow and ponderous and difficult travel, but back in those days, uh, this was like, hmm, your own private Learjet. I mean, hey, paved roads throughout the whole Roman Empire, and therefore, that allowed for uh, 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 communications and, and uh, uh, travel and access and egress that would not have been possible otherwise, and even to the furthermost outposts of civilization. The Romans established these great roads, and so one could easily travel from one side of the empire to the other, which means that when Jesus came and gave birth to his church, that the gospel could travel throughout the entire civilized world with relative ease. But not only that, the Roman government had established a very excellent postal system. And if you read the New Testament, most of these uh, epistles that you read in the New Testament, they are letters that have been written. Because of the excellent postal system and the ability to send uh, these uh, and roads, and besides that, Rome had conquered most of the pirates of the sea, and they'd conquered most of the robbers on the land, and so it was relatively safe and with ease. Uh, these letters could be uh, sent to and fro. There came a time when uh, one of the Roman emperors, Caesar Augustus, decided he'd like to, to take a census for the purpose of taxation. And uh, it meant that uh, Mary and Joseph would have to make a trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem because they had, that was the origination point, and uh, registered. And she was great with child at that time. And while she was there, she gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem as per what the prophet had prophesied hundreds of years before. Now, Caesar Augustus thought he had a great idea, but I kind of wonder where he got the idea. The fact is, God is sovereign, and he's orchestrating history on behalf of his purpose and his people, and he's very engaged in areas in which you would not have before imagined. But even previous to this, how was the world set up? The fullness of time God sent forth his son. Before the Rome, uh, Romans had conquered the world, Alexander the Great had conquered the world. And Alexander the Great, about 334 years before Jesus Christ, and he had been a pupil uh, uh, greatly influenced by Aristotle, and he conquered the world in about 12 years. Well, when he did, he brought Greek culture with him. And so throughout the entire civilized world, the Roman world, Greek culture prevailed, and one language, the Greek language prevailed. And so this made it very easy for communication. And then, about 280 before Christ, the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek. It was called the Septuagint. And so now, the ability to share the scriptures and share the, the, the Old Testament with the uh, people, the Bible that they would have used in, in Jesus' day, that was accessible and available to everyone. So you had a language, you had a culture, you had the ability to communicate the gospel, you had roads throughout the civilized world. You had a postal system. You had a, a relative peace with the uh, power of the Roman government. And it was during this time that God sent forth his son in the fullness of time. When things were set up, when things were ready, things were ready politically and, and culturally and, and linguistically. Now, this helps me personally because that, that means that God is engaged in every detail of our lives. I'm fascinated when I, I, I read certain things in the Bible and I think, uh, is this a one-off? No, I think this is kind of like standard operating procedure. So, for instance, when you go to the book of Jeremiah 
And God is, is engaging Jeremiah, and, he's, and he makes these uh, statements to Jeremiah. And he says, well, I want you to know I was present at your conception. Basically, I knew you before you were. And he says, I, I formed you uh, in the womb. And I want you to know something. I've set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. And that means God had put a, a destiny, kind of a DNA, in Jeremiah. Was there at his conception? I look at that. Is that a one-off? No, I think that's standard operating procedure. You're sitting here today, by the before ordained purpose of God, and God has put you in this life, in this place, in this at a point in time, for His purpose, and as a result, your significance and identity is found up in what He's done for us, brought us together at this point in time, and in history. So, the fullness of time, and I think we can say that about all of us. In the fullness of time, I wandered into a little country church on a Sunday evening and heard a gospel message. And I knew it was true. And I knew that I needed to commit my life to Jesus. And I did. I was still a young man, but I was carrying a weight of sin on my shoulders. I didn't know how heavy it was, really. I remember after a time of prayer, confession, receiving Jesus as my Lord, when I walked out of that little building, I felt so light. I actually looked down at the floor to make sure my feet were touching the floor. Weight had been rolled off of me. It was wonderful. In the fullness of time, what about you? What about your life? I think sometimes we pray about things and they don't happen. And we can get upset because it seems like what we're praying about is exactly right. It's just obvious. Why wouldn't God do this? Why wouldn't God heal this person? Why wouldn't he change this situation? Why would he allow this to happen? And... And actually, in many ways, our prayers actually demonstrate that we think we know better than God what God should be doing. Where he has, a, where, where he has an overall purpose and plan that our minds just cannot fully embrace at that point. The birth of God's Son was a determined act. God sent forth His Son at a predetermined time. He dispatched Him. God sent him on a mission. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He had you in mind, and he had your salvation in mind as well, your liberty and your freedom. Before God flung the stars into space and the planets and designed everything that was, he actually had you in mind at this point in time in history. That's hard for us to take in, but he did. And it was in heaven that Jesus volunteered to come to this earth and to take your sin upon himself and as a result, pay the price of your sin and to grant unto you his very own righteousness before the foundation of the world, before anything was created. This was all set in place. 
And you, you begin to read the Bible, and you see God's hand through it all. I mean, even when the first people sin in Genesis 3, it's evident God had a plan. Because he said, that, he said that a Messiah would be born of a woman, and her seed would crush the serpent's head. And when you go through Scripture, you see these, these points in time where God speaks to Abraham, and he says, your seed is going to be a blessing to the entire world. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed. God had the redemption of people in mind way back. He had this plan. It culminated in that point in time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Why? He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as children. That's what it says. To redeem those that were under the law. And basically that's saying you're, people who lived under the bondage, the subjugation of rules of performance by which we gain acceptance and feel valued. We all know what it is to live by that. You have it in your workplace, or you have it the way you were raised. We're somehow the product of people we were raised with, or even religion or church that you were exposed to. It can be certain rules or laws, and ah, you have to attain to a certain standard. And this is the way one behaves. So what is a good Christian? Well, a good Christian reads the Bible, every day, says his prayers every day, read the Bible every day, say your prayer every day, and keep the devil away. And if you're really a good Christian, you, you give a percentage of your income. And if you're super, really super, super Christian, you attend church meetings on Sunday but if you want to be the ultimate Christian, you might even actually become a missionary or something like that. Now, there's all these kind of like stages of progression that have to do with activity or performance that somehow commend you in some way to God. The problem is there's parts of our lives because of that that are never exposed to others. There are issues that we know if people only knew they only knew we wouldn't be approved of. We wouldn't be accepted. And so most of our interaction with people, because we live under that slavery, is pretty superficial. So it kind of goes like this. Say, how are you, Larry? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, I understand that most greetings should probably happen that way, rather than unloading all of your problems and sin every time. How are you doing? Oh, it's terrible. I did this. We, 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 we would, wouldn't want to do that necessarily. But the fact is, is we mask and hide because we're afraid that we're not performing up to a standard that leads to acceptance. And it's a great need for us to feel that we're accepted. We're addicted to approval, and we're addicted to acceptance, and basically that makes us hide. And internally, we can feel hypocritical because what people see on the outside is not really what we know that we are on the inside. So we're under law. Our performance and our value and our identity. And the thing is about law is it always fails us because it causes us to concentrate on your behavior. It doesn't, it doesn't take you outside of yourself to what Jesus has done for you. 
And so you concentrate on your behavior. And the more you concentrate on what's wrong with you, the more wrong you seem to do. And and it seems, well, here's the standard, but I can't attain to the standard. And so the, the only thing to do is either quit altogether or to fake it. Because we get a little something from the acceptance of others who think you're a good guy, you're a good gal. Yeah, I like you. you know. I'm fine. Good. And we get by. But underneath, it's misery. Here's the hub of Christianity. Jesus did it all on our behalf. And there's nothing you can add to that. And there's nothing he's asking you to add to. You are fully accepted and you are approved in Jesus. And this is what the scripture is saying. God sent his son at a particular point in time. He sent him on this mission. Born under the law to redeem us who were under the law. That he might, that we might receive adoption as children and be brought into his family. Adoption means placing a child or putting them into a family. We have uh, friends that are part of the, are the church planting in Tacoma, uh, Wayman and Lee Hampton, and uh, they were never able to have children for many, many years. Tried to get pregnant, couldn't get pregnant, never had children. But we also have friends in Ethiopia. And so a connection was made, and they determined to adopt uh, a couple of orphans and young boys. They weren't babies, young boys from Ethiopia. Oh, this is fun to watch, actually. We were pretty close to them, stay in their house. And so they would drive down, they would fly down there and, and see them, and then ultimately all the stuff transpired that they were able to finalize the adoption and bring them home. And they had these little boys, and they were full of life, and they didn't speak English. So this is an amazing thing. You have all these years been just the two of you, and now you're going to be parents, not to one, but to two, but to kids like this. And, uh, but it's fun. it's fun to watch. And they're very much Hamptons, these kids, and see how they've been loved and embraced. And what's really funny is when they got back home, she got pregnant. So... <laughs> So they, they have a, a little girl. But it means placing a child. I have a sister that uh, has a heart as big as, oh, just huge. And she has a heart for kids. And she has always taken children from very bad situations into her home. And uh, she began to adopt some of these kids. Mixed race and minority kids. Kids that had come from uh, uh, drug-addicted families and that had some serious uh, problems. Uh, and she adopted them. And then she adopted another. And then she adopted another. And then she adopted another. And that brings with it certain sacrifices and costs. For instance, when the four-year-old she adopted drove the van through both sides of the garage. <laughs> but... But I see a bit... Just, it's... Just, it's a bit of a microcosm of God's amazing love for us. 
when no one wanted us, when we didn't have a family, when we were so undesirable, he loved us and took us into his family. By birth, we were shut out and we were separated from God, but now he's made us alive and brought us into his family. I, uh, I'm always amazed. I mean, Scripture affects me so deeply sometimes. And Ephesians 2 is just an amazing uh, series of verses. And I just like to kind of work through the Ephesians 2 because it has something to do with being separated from God and being without family and what God has done for us. And beginning with verse 1, let's just start, I'll, I'll start reading through. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which... You, you, you try to keep up with me. All right, here we go. In which you once walked following the course of this world, and you were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work and the sons of disobedience. This is once, he, he's writing to people now who are believers, basically reminding them what they once were. He's saying, you basically just followed along with the trends of this world. You were like dead in trespasses and sins, among whom we all once lived, all of us in this room, in the passions of our flesh, and, and that passions of flesh is more than I have to have a pizza, which I shouldn't talk about food at this hour. But, but, it's, but you, we lived in the passions of the flesh. This is what drove us. This was our motivating factor. And we carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature. Children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But now this next verse. I love these two words, but God. Because something happens at that point. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead. We were dead, undesirable. Who wants anybody dead around? We were dead in trespasses. And this is what he did. He made us alive together. He created a family together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You didn't do anything. You didn't initiate it. You didn't deserve it. And no act that you could possibly accomplish he did. It's all but God. You get it? It's all his initiation. It's all he did it all. All of Christianity is locked up in this. Jesus did it all for us. And this is what he did. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he's going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. For by grace, that is, by his power, by his favor, by his initiation only, by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You didn't do it. It's just a gift. It's a gift of God. And it's not as a result of works. And none of us can brag about it. No. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
You see, going back to Galatians 4, 7, as it fits in this context, we're no longer like slaves. We were once that way, but we are no longer like slaves, striving for acceptance, and somehow we're never getting there, never enough. A slave can work forever, but guess what? They're still a slave. And no amount of approval is ever going to change that. You were a slave. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were subjugated to the course of this world. We all were. I was. I was a slave. I was a slave to anger. I was a slave to approval. I was a slave to acceptance. I never felt I measured up, and I tried. I never felt I gained approval. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Somehow, we just fail. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. <laughs> the whole landscape's going to change. And he gave us a gift of his own righteousness. And he adopted us into his family. It was something that God did for us, not as a result of our good performance. I read a story a few years ago, and it was about a guy named Lowry. Don't remember his first name, Mr. Lowry. And he was a wealthy businessman. And it was back in those days uh, where there were a lot of orphans on the street, and, uh, and that's true in a lot of places in the world as well, street kids. But this... Uh, kid sold newspapers. So he'd walk the streets carrying newspapers. And he a pretty ragged looking kid. And he passed this mansion-like place and he just would normally bypass it. And he felt drawn into it. And so he began to walk up the lane. And there's this amazing manicured lawn. You can just imagine what, you know, a very wealthy person lived there. And, and he's just fascinated by it. And, and before he realized it, he was up at the door, rapping on the door. And a man opened the door, and it happened to be the owner, Mr. Lowry. And he, he said to Mr. Lowry, he said, he said, do you own this place? I said, yes, I do. He said, I just give everything I had if I could play on this place spacious lawn and no one would drive me out. He says, do you have a little boy? And he said, no, Mrs. Lauer and I don't have any children. He said, oh, he said, I could, I'd just give everything I had if I could be your, your little boy and play out here. And he called upstairs to his wife and she came down the stairs and he said, Mrs. Lowry, would you like to have a little boy? And she said, oh, yes, I'd love to have a little boy. He said, come on in, son. And true to his word, the little boy reached in his pocket, pulled out, opened his hand. He had 13 pennies to give to Mr. Lowry. I'd give everything I have if I could be your son. Mr. Lowry closed his hand. He said, son, I think I have enough for both of us. You can keep that. Now, that's a true story, but it's... And, and this, this boy was adopted and became an heir to Mr. Lowry's fortune. 
Now, but that's what God's done for us. And sometimes we, we bring our good works, our own righteousness. The Bible calls those filthy rags. They're like 13 dirty pennies. And, and we're, we're trying to commend ourselves to God in some way. And through our actions or performance to gain some acceptance or approval. And God would just close your hands and say, no, why don't you just put that away? I have enough for all of us. <laughs> and he's provided your righteousness. There's nothing you can add to it. It's a marvelous thing. It just absolutely blows my mind what God has done for us. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from the curse of the law, from the need to perform, and then we always fail, and then the need to hide because we do fail, or any future attempts to secure our acceptance that we might receive adoption as his children, whereby, he says, we cry, Abba, Father. I'm going to tell you a few things about me. I, I grew up in a family that had a very strong work ethic, which actually meant a reward for performance. And uh, when I became a believer in Jesus. It was in a church that had a fairly strong works or law mindset. It was legalistic. People there were lovely and all that. But I soon learned that there were rules to being a good Christian. Some of the rules like I mentioned. And there was a way to behave, to be fully accepted. It was also the kind of a, a church that uh, didn't preach that much about grace. In fact, you could lose your salvation in this church. So if you sinned, so if you, if, if you went out and did something wrong and you died in that moment, or if Jesus came back in that moment, you're toast. You have a straight ticket to hell. Guess what? Unlike most of you, I sinned. And it meant that I needed to get saved all over again. And I got saved lots of times. Because I sinned lots of times. And that's... There's difference than knowing that you, you still belong to him and you confess and he's faithful to forgive us. It's different. So I lived under the law, both the way I was raised and in this church. I was a failure. I faked my way through. I did the best I could. I made promises to God. I said, I'll do better. I'll do better. I'll do better. I'll do better. And I'd try to do better, but I would fail. I didn't realize that I was really under the law. Now, I went to college, I went to seminary, I became a pastor in this condition. I believe the Bible, I love God. But I was in bondage, I was a slave. I was a slave to anger. 
sometimes I would get angry with my wife and then I'd have to go preach. And I felt condemned the whole time. It's like, what are you doing? You're a hypocrite. You're all this. I just felt accused. And I, I had to agree I was a hypocrite. That's true. I did, yeah. And I lived under that. I worked hard. I was driven. I worked hard in the church. I was performance driven. Something of, I, I didn't know who I was. And I thought by being successful through my performance, it would establish who I was. With all of those other things, I was depressed. And I suffered from severe depression. It was like a black hole. I just wanted to hide in the closet all the time. And I'd come out and do whatever I needed to do to pastor's church. But I was depressed. This miserable. You, sh you should know that Linda is a saint. She lived with this. Thanks be to God, I discovered the simple thing, but it was just huge for me. Hey, I discovered his grace. I discovered that I'm fully accepted, that I could never contribute to that acceptance, that I have my identity in him, that he did it all, that no amount of performance or lack of performance would ever change that. And there was absolutely nothing I could do that was so good that would cause God to love me more and nothing that I've ever done so bad that would cause him to love me less. It freed me. I wasn't a happy guy. I was duty-bound. I felt responsibility. But I was a miserable guy. The Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Well, it seems to me you can't have peace unless you know you're righteous. And you can't have joy unless you have peace. Here's the deal. My righteousness was wrapped up in me trying to be good and doing the right things. And I couldn't. But when it dawned on me, hey, wait a minute. I'm already righteous. Jesus did everything for me. He gave me his righteousness. When Father sees me, he sees his righteousness. I'm righteous. He made me alive. It was not through any works of my own. I can't brag about it. I didn't pull myself up by my own bootstraps. He did it. He loves me. He made me his child. He has fully embraced me. He has totally accepted me without any performance issues or works of my own, just because of his great mercy by which he loved us. I can't tell you what that did for me. I'm righteous. 
you're looking at a saint. I'm righteous. Because I'm righteous, I'm a transformed man. I'm no longer driven. It's gone. I don't strive for approval. I really don't. I'm already approved. I don't need place or position. I already have it. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I'm free. I'm free. Because I'm righteous, I have peace. I didn't used to be this way. I'm a man of, I have peace. Because I have peace, I have joy. I'm a happy man. And I have a lot of fun, and my, my humor's a bit quirky. <laughs> and my wife probably gets a little tired of it now and then. <laughs> I can be a little weird. But I feel free. Isn't it interesting when you read scripture, that's why Jesus came to bring us freedom. I had a yoke of sin on my shoulders and Jesus took it away and then I let religion and performance and standards put another yoke on top of me. I don't have it anymore. My feet rarely touch the ground. I'm free. I have joy. I have peace because of his righteousness. You may be here today, and I don't know what your background is, but you may have come from a religious background that you know what it is. There is constant responsibility or performance. It's kind of like Garrison Keillor, who drummed up these stories about Lake Wobegon in Minnesota, which is basically Catholic. You're either Catholic or Lutheran in Minnesota, and he captures it well. I used to live in Minnesota. He calls the Catholic Church Our Lady of Perpetual Responsibility. <laughs> well, Lutherans are good at potlucks, but anyway. But you may have been raised in that kind of an environment, and you know what I'm talking about. Now you're here at Jubilee Church. This, is, this would be my desire for you to be in this church, to be a part of this family, to understand so fully and completely that Jesus has already done everything for you, and you have nothing to prove to him, and that there's no amount of performance that's going to commend you anymore to God's love, and that you are fully accepted, and that he has made you righteous. And that his grace and mercy has been given to you so completely that you're released from any need to hide anything. Because this is a grace community. And that you're free. You're free. So you walk out the door today. This is how I want you to think. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Oh, it's his. He gave it to me. Because I'm righteous, 
striving is gone. I'm at peace. And I have joy. That's the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I can't add anything to what he's already done. I'm free. Remember that. There's nothing that you can do so good that would cause God to love you more and nothing that you've done so bad that would cause him to love you less. And it doesn't doesn't make you sin. When When you fully embrace this, it liberates you in a way. The law always makes you sin. But it liberates you. Take out your communication card. 